Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing SpongeBob SquarePants. Maybe I am a loser. <laughs> hey, Squidward. Huh? You're not delirious with despair, and you're not calling true things false. Hey, Squidward. This is weird. You're not hallucinating this sea anemone chorus line at all. I'm not. You're not a loser. You don't secretly hate yourself. You're not singing this to no one. It's not the case that no one cares. Okay. You're not a failure. You don't not have talent. When others see you, they can't see the nobody that isn't there. I'm not a loser. First, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. As always, we received an email shortly before this session began. Patty and I would just like to reference this email because it involves Benny. Benny is not here with us today because we don't have a lot of details regarding this insane situation. This sounds insane, but Benny and his fiance are apparently, currently, as we speak, as I speak, dealing with a bat in their home, in their apartment, and beyond that, as I said, we don't have any additional details, but this means Benny cannot join us today. That makes sense. They are dealing with a live bat in their apartment. Just saying it, I feel like if I keep saying it out loud, it will sound less crazy, but it doesn't. So we wish you the best of luck. We we hope that it all works out just fine. I know they are trying to release the bat without harming it, of course. So we wish Benny and his fiance all the luck in the world, okay? We want you back, Benny, but take your time. Take your time, Benny. <laughs> I also have one quick follow-up here in our opening segment. I want to talk about damn Yankees for just a few more seconds. It probably won't even take a full minute. I just was fascinated by the fact that in the song Goodbye Old Girl, Joe starts off as an old man, and he sings, and now your Joe has to go, but he'll come back to you again. He says, but he'll come back to you again. He says that. He says, I I will come back to you again. And then later, after he has been transformed into Joe Hardy, he sings, and though your Joe has to go, he may come back to you again. He may come back to you again. I... <laughs> I was astonished by that slight yet very crucial change in the language. We go from, he'll come back to you again, don't worry, to, he may come back to you again. 
Oh boy. Oh brother, Joe Boyd slash Joe Hardy. What a fucking heel. What a heel. Okay, that's all I wanted to say in regards to damn Yankees. That might have taken over a minute. I don't know. But let's get the show facts regarding this week's subject, SpongeBob SquarePants. Show me the show facts, if you please. I'm being polite. Well, I do appreciate it, and so I will offer you those facts right now. SpongeBob SquarePants was a 2018 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on December 4th, 2017 at the Palace Theater and ran for 327 performances. The book was written by Kyle Jarrow and it is based on the animated Nickelodeon series created by Steven Hillenburg, which premiered on May 1st, 1999 and is currently in its 13th season. The franchise has generated over $13 billion for the network. Not surprising when you consider the series inspired three feature films, two spin-off shows with a third on the way, two theme park rides, a bi-monthly comic book series, over 30 video games, an obscene amount of merchandise, and of course, a Broadway musical. The music and lyrics of SpongeBob SquarePants were written by, well, here we go. We have a lot of names to get through. We have original songs by Yolanda Adams, Alex Ebert of Edward Sharp, and the Magnetic Zeros, Sarah Baralis, Jonathan Colton, Domini, Derek Dryman, Mark Harrison, Steven Hillenburg, Rob Hyman, Lady Antebellum, Cindy Lauper, John Legend, Little C, Panic at the Disco, Plain White Tees, Blaze Smith, Steven Tyler, and Joe Perry of Aerosmith, The Flaming Lips, They Might Be Giants, and T.I. We also have a featuring songs by credit. That credit applies to David Bowie, Brian Eno, Tom Kenny, and Andy Paley, with additional music by Tom Kitt and additional lyrics by Jonathan Colton. The director of the Broadway production was Tina Landau. The musical director was Julie McBride. Choreographer, Christopher Gatelli. Scenic design, David Zinn. Lighting design, Kevin Adams. Sound design, Walter Trarbach and Mike Dobson. Costume design, David Zinn. And the original Broadway cast included Ethan Slater. This was Ethan Slater's Broadway debut, and we will talk about this later, but if you'll recall, Ethan Slater is also a member of the Cream Pie Cutie Club. Ooh, the Cream Pie Cutie Club. But we'll talk about that later, as I said. Lily Cooper is also in this cast. We also have Gavin Lee, Brian Ray Norris, Broadway debut, Danny Skinner, Broadway debut, Wesley Taylor, member of the CPCC. Hello, 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 Wesley. <laughs> but we're not done. We have Galen Gilliland, and I do apologize, as always, if I am mispronouncing any of these surnames. Kyle Matthew Hamilton, Broadway debut. Curtis Holbrook, Stephanie Hsu, Broadway debut. Logan Jones, Broadway debut. And Jalen Christie Lee Josie, Broadway debut. We have Tom Kenny. Kenny, the original voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, appeared in the musical as a French narrator via voiceover. You might recognize him as Heifer from Rocco's Modern Life, Dog from Cat Dog, the narrator and mayor from the Powerpuff Girls, or his work on Mr. Show with Bob and David, Futurama, The Fairly Odd Parents, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, Mission Hill, Meet the Robinsons, Samurai Jack, Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy X-2, and of course, Tamagotchi Video Adventures, duh. Rounding out this cast, we have Kelvin Moon Lowe, Laurelyn McClelland, Vasti Mompoint, Onika Phillips, John Rua, J.C. Schuster, Abby C. Smith, Broadway 
debut, Robert Taylor Jr. Broadway debut, and Alan K. Washington Broadway debut. Tony nods. Let's talk about those Tony nods. The production won Best Scenic Design of a Musical, David Zinn, and it was additionally nominated for Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Kyle Jarrow, Best Original Score Written for the Theater, Best Leading Actor in a Musical, Ethan Slater, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Gavin Lee, Best Choreography, Christopher Catelli, Best Direction of a Musical, Tina Landau, Best Orchestrations, Tom Kitt, Best Costume Design of a Musical, David Zinn, Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Kevin Adams, and Best Sound Design of a Musical, Walter Traubach and Mike Dobson. So, 12 nominations in total, one award at the end of the day. But what about the plot of SpongeBob SquarePants? Well, as our story begins, SpongeBob SquarePants leaps out of bed to embrace another day in Bikini Bottom. Our hero has everything a yellow sponge who lives in a pineapple under the sea could possibly want. An adorable pet snail, check. Faithful friends, check. And a steady job flipping burgers down at the Krusty Krab, check. SpongeBob's manager, Mr. Krabs, would love nothing more than to see his daughter, Pearl, take over the restaurant one day. Pearl scoffs at this idea. She is far too busy mooning over her favorite rock band, The Electric Skates. When SpongeBob positions himself as a potential manager, Mr. Krabs laughs in his face. Yarrr! SpongeBob a manager? Ridiculous. This utterly average day comes to an end when a series of earthquakes brings Bikini Bottom to a standstill. Per the local news, a volcano known as Mount Humongous is scheduled to erupt and destroy the town at sundown tomorrow. SpongeBob assures his best friend, a starfish named Patrick, that everything will be okay so long as they stick together. Local psychotic and restaurateur Sheldon J. Plankton presents a solution to the public with help from his wife, an artificial intelligence named Karen. Why not buy an escape pod from a catalog and move everyone to a safe location? Spoiler alert, once everyone is inside the pod, Plankton will hypnotize them into eating at his awful diner the Chum Bucket. Problem! Escape pods are ludicrously expensive, so the town decides to stage a charity concert to raise money. Squidward, who is a squid, of course, offers to perform his cabaret act at the concert, and the offer is swiftly rejected. He will serve as stage manager while Pearl books the electric skates. SpongeBob becomes determined to save Bikini Bottom, despite Mr. Krabs' insistence that he is just a simple sponge. SpongeBob and Patrick team up with Sandy Cheeks, a squirrel from Texas who lives underwater with the aid of a diving suit. Sandy is a brilliant scientist who believes she can build a device that will prevent Mount Humongous from exploding. The residents of Bikini Bottom do not trust in Sandy or her science, as she is a land mammal. What could this squirrel with lungs possibly know about the ocean? Sandy is heartbroken in the face of their resentment, as she always felt Bikini Bottom was her home. But SpongeBob believes in Sandy, and if she thinks this device will do the trick, that's enough for him. Unfortunately, Patrick abandons the quest before it can begin, choosing instead to stay behind so he can be worshipped by a sardine cult. Patrick and SpongeBob get into a terrible fight, and their friendship falls apart as a result. The next day, Sandy and SpongeBob begin a perilous trek up Mount Humongous. Having narrowly escaped the anti-mammal, anti-science mob that would sabotage their mission. 
Karen and Plankton pull their Avalanche Maker 3000 out of storage so they may bury our meddling heroes in a landslide. Patrick realizes life without SpongeBob is really no life at all, and so he forsakes the sardines to catch up with his BFF. Meanwhile, Squidward asks the Electric Skates if he can perform as part of their act. The Skates agree, but only if Squidward retrieves every item from their unreasonably long rider. Our sullen inkfish fails, and the Skates pull out of the concert. Pearl pesters Mr. Krabs into donating the profits he made during a recent Armageddon sale, but it's still not enough to buy the escape pod. With zero options remaining, the residents of Bikini Bottom start a riot. I suppose I should also mention how Pearl nearly ran away to go on tour with the Electric Skates before they swam off without her. It's not an especially important series of beats, all things considered. Plankton and Karen activate the Avalanche Maker 3000, which causes SpongeBob and Sandy to tumble down the side of the volcano. Patrick appears wearing a jetpack he retrieved from Sandy's house, and together our heroes manage to reach the summit. SpongeBob squeezes through the crevices of the volcano because he is a sponge and deposits the device, which now has an official name, the Eruptor Interruptor. But will the Eruptor Interruptor work? Our heroes parachute back to a war-torn bikini bottom to await their fate. Time runs out. The sun sets. Yet the eruption never occurs. Instead, the sea is filled with beautiful, harmless bubbles. Hooray! All is set right as the show comes to an end. Sandy is embraced by her neighbors, Plankton's plans are exposed, and Mr. Krabs promotes SpongeBob to manager, with no increase in pay, of course. To celebrate, the residents of Bikini Bottom hold another concert, and everyone is invited to perform. Even gloomy old Squidward. Oh, did we not talk about Patchy the Pirate? Okay, well, Patchy appears before every act to complain about pirate discrimination and stereotypes. Security guards fail to capture Patchy, and he successfully manages to crash the musical's finale. The residents of Bikini Bottom are confused by the Sea Dog's appearance, but they concede to his demands and end the evening with a rendition of the SpongeBob SquarePants theme song. The end. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 2016 original Chicago cast album, which is actually the only cast album that exists in relation to SpongeBob SquarePants. Several actors heard on this album were exclusive to the Chicago cast and did not move on to Broadway, those being Nick Blamere as Plankton, Carlos Lopez as Mr. Krabs, Emmy Revere Lampman as Pearl, Jason Michael Snow as Patchy, and Mark Ledbetter as Old Man Jenkins and the French narrator. I also watched the 2018 Tony Awards performance of I'm Not a Loser. I have a few minor criticisms when it comes to this performance, but none of my commentary should overshadow my appreciation of Gavin Lee, who delivers a superb performance as Squidward. Everything is pitch perfect, from the ramrod physicality and sour expression to a voice that evokes clammy seaweed. I am a fan. I am also a fan of the hot pink sea worm hand puppets as I am in general a sucker for puppets. I have turned my own hand into a puppet and I am talking through it right now. Sadly, it is now time for me to quibble. First and foremost, I'm Not a Loser feels long, especially when it comes to the dance break. I understand we want to show off David Zinn's costume design for Squidward. There is a certain amount of novelty in lending Gavin Lee an extra pair of legs and utilizing them for a tap routine. 
but the novelty wears off faster than you would expect, and when you realize it's the only trick up their sleeve, a certain amount of boredom sets in. I would compare it to the Farquaad effect from Shrek the Musical, but to be honest, I recall Farquaad as a marginally more compelling and magical piece of theatricality. Squidward's costume design left me questioning the legitimacy of the tap routine. I am certain Gavin Lee's tap skills are unimpeachable, but the costume appears restrictive, and Walter Trarbach's sound design employs a ton of supplemental Foley effects. Is it a stretch to think Lee's steps are augmented with offstage taps? This is not a conspiracy theory. I am merely asking questions. I would not be surprised if the costume limited Lee's movements back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. All right, let's stop being polite and start getting real. I'm Not a Loser is not the number you select for the Tonys. Not by a long shot. If you're in a situation where Ethan Slater and Gavin Lee are both up for acting awards, you have to choose a song that showcases the former. Ethan Slater plays SpongeBob. The show is called SpongeBob SquarePants. Where is Ethan Slater and why am I not watching him perform? Just a simple sponge. As far as mishaps go, this isn't nearly as egregious as David Hyde Pierce trying to make up for the absence of Bette Midler, but it does generate the same type of low-level dismay. I want to see SpongeBob, damn it! I want to see Dolly Levi, damn it! And finally, I watched the SpongeBob musical live on stage. A couple of rapid-fire facts for you. The show was rebranded as the SpongeBob musical for the purposes of the national tour. The SpongeBob musical does have more zing as a title than SpongeBob SquarePants, I have to say. This live performance performance aired on December 7th, 2019, as a season 12 episode of the animated series. Cast members exclusive to the staging include Christine Sahus as Sandy Cheeks, Katie Lee Hill as Karen, and Brianna Parham as the mayor. And again, I do apologize for mispronouncing any first and or last names. I'll begin with a major complaint. How could you produce a DVD of this musical that doesn't provide subtitles? No subtitles whatsoever. Viewers have the option of watching a sing-along version of the show, but if you're hearing impaired, you're still out of luck when it comes to the dialogue. This is unacceptable. No kid should have to feel left out because some adult refused to provide subtitles. On a more positive note, I like how the production looks expensive as hell while embracing a child's sense of ground-level DIY play. Sponges dipped in blacklight paint are arranged to form various creatures and emojis, and the ascent up Mount Humongous is staged like an epic version of The Floor is Lava. I was an arts and crafts kid. I spent countless hours hanging off the side of perilous mountain couches, so all of this material spoke to me. Longtime listeners of the podcast are familiar with the Cream Pie Cutie Club, an assortment of Broadway and West End actors who have my permission to throw me on my back and turn me into a cream pie. Ethan Slater is a member of the CPCC. Yes, we have circled back to this. And after watching his performance as SpongeBob, his membership is forever assured. I, uh, I want to have sex with Ethan Slater. It's true. I can top him. He can top me. His wife can watch. I do not care how the arrangement works, so long as the arrangement 
is made. I need to bite down on his biceps. I need to witness his obscene flexibility firsthand. I need him to make me sweat and yelp. Slater leans into the idea that SpongeBob is an innately queer character, which is fabulous. Watching SpongeBob model a dress and flirt with Squidward is everything. For the record, Chris is not attracted to Ethan Slater, which is fine. He reminds me too much of the oddball theater dorks I used to hook up with. I simply cannot resist his charms. I cannot, I will not, flip my juicy Krabby Patty Ethan. Some notes regarding Kyle Jarrow's book. I see what we're doing with the explicit reference to Fiddler on the Roof. Everyone is being forced out of Bikini Bottom. They're singing a song in the style of Anna Tevka. We even see the titular Fiddler on his roof. There is no subtlety to this gag. I get it, but I also don't get it. If there were several references to musicals of the past peppered throughout the show, I would view them as a key component to a larger aesthetic. But when you only invoke Fiddler for the sake of a one-off gag, it comes off as random and a little pointless. We do not need this joke, and the laughs you generate, if any, will be reserved at best. So let's push this to the wayside. And what is with the joke about seahorse radish? A member of the Electric Skates is super invested in Squidward obtaining seahorse radish, which prompts one of his bandmates to accuse him of having a, quote, radish problem, quote. There reaction? I can quit anytime I want. The concept of seahorse radish dates back to Nasty Patty, a season three episode of the original series. In this episode, SpongeBob refers to the garnish as the gnarliest stuff in the ocean. In the context of the musical, we seem to be capitalizing on the idea that horse is synonymous with heroin. Man, you've got a heroin problem. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? If I'm not wrong, who is this joke for exactly? Parents? I, uh, no thanks. I don't want to meet the parents who laugh at the seahorse radish joke. Jump out of bed. Mix up a breakfast for my favorite pet snail. Full steam ahead. The SSI am ready is about to set sail. This kind of day couldn't get much better, but it keeps on trying. Yeah, I'm on my way. Somewhere there's a Krabby Patty that needs frying. And who's the lucky sponge in the mirror who is living his dream? Who's always extra careful with his dental hygiene? Morning already? It sure is. And I'm singing an opening number. Oh, oh, I want a verse. Hi, Mr. Snack. This busy schedule makes it hard to be me. To stay on track, now I'll have to eat it while I'm watching TV. There might not be time for a nap, but I'll do what I can. They're showing all the episodes of Mermaid Man. Oh, every single one. I'm standing Please keep it down. Good morning, Squidward. Another day, another migraine. When I want some quiet, there's nowhere to go. A sensitive artiste can 
deconstruction of the score with Bikini Bottom Day, a welcome to the world number written by Jonathan Colton. Every major and minor character is introduced over the course of this hefty six-minute track. SpongeBob, Patrick, Squidward, Sandy, Mr. Krabs, Plankton, and Karen. We're doing a lot here. Too much. We don't need to worry about allocating entire verses to characters like Plankton, Karen, and Mr. Krabs when we have an entire first act to explore their motivations. They can appear during the opening number, certainly, but we don't need them weighing us down with musical orations. And make no mistake, the material regarding Mr. Krabs and Plankton's rivalry? That stuff is sluggish. Do not sacrifice the fizzy momentum achieved in the first half of Bikini Bottom Day for the sake of of pushing more exposition off of your plate. We have book scenes for that. To summarize, keep everything about SpongeBob, Patrick, Squidward, and Sandy, but once we've introduced Sandy, it's time to wrap it up and move on. P.S. I enjoy Gavin Lee's delivery of a sensitive artiste can't get a moment's peace with these two idiots in stereo. I like that a lot. The end is coming. The end is coming. This just in, the end is in our future, evidence has come to light, it's all deranged, no control, sit tight in your corner, no point in making plans, it's all deranged No control Brian Eno's No Control is one of three songs written prior to the development of this week's subject, the other two being Best Day Ever, written by Tom Kenny and Andy Paley, and the theme of the original series, which was written by Derek Dryman, Mark Harrison, Stephen Hillenburg, and Blaze Smith. No Control first appeared on Bowie's 19th studio album, the 1995 release, number one outside, The Nathan Adler Diaries, A Hypercycle. What a title. Bowie's acting resume includes a 2007 episode of the Spongebob series, for which he played Lord Royal Highness. My theory is the team behind the musical had hoped to involve Bowie as part of their songwriting collective, but his death in 2016 prevented the creation of an original number. The team would have then turned to Bowie's catalog as a way of honoring the artist. You know what, this seems like a mystery we can solve with a little something I like to call research. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was close. Per Rolling Stone, the team reached out to Bowie in 2012, and he lent them access to his catalog, as he did not have time to write a new song. Research, am I right? Opening doors right and left. 
But enough context, Jonathan. What do you think about no control? I dig it, baby. Like any reasonable human being, I adore David Bowie. Though I have to admit, I'm more familiar with Brian Eno and his brand of space case mood music. Ambient One, music for airports, music for films, Apollo, atmospheres, and soundtracks, etc., etc., Bowie and Eno make for one hell of an artistic combination, so if you're looking to explore their output further, I highly recommend the 1977 album Low, L-O-W. That the creators of SpongeBob SquarePants thought to adapt this fairly sinister, aggressively non-commercial B-side for their children's musical is pretty daring. No Control sounds unlike anything you'll find throughout the rest of this score, and I like the idea of kids vibing out to its dark, surreal energy. Am I starting to sound like a Gen X dad? Maybe. Check this out, little dude. <laughs> Ooh, the radio. Oh, boy. Give me some music, Karen. This task force is for losers. I've got the perfect plan. Right now, the getting's good, so let's get out while we can. Look, lava's pretty hot. Let's give in to our fear. Disaster's on its way. That means we can't spend no more time in here. You all know who I am. Evil genius, giant frame. You can't stop a volcano. I mean, are you all insane? The ones who stay will all be vaporized without a doubt. Before that sucker blows, we gotta get the fish out. Fish out, fish out, fish out. Wesley Taylor and Brian Ray Norris do a bang-up job of impersonating Mr. Lawrence and Clancy Brown, who provided the voices of Plankton and Mr. Krabs for the original series. Nick Blamier and Carlos Lopez of the Chicago cast struggle in this regard. I can't tell if they're putting a spin on these characters or simply missing the mark with their imitations. Blamier's take on Plankton lacks a certain crunchy, ragged texture. Lopez sounds more like a theme park Popeye than the hearty Mr. Krabs we know and love. My point is, if you're going to play a world-famous animated character, there's no room for sloppiness or artistic license. In this instance, I require the comforting embrace of the familiar. Thank you very much. I speak for the trees. Let's hear Wesley Taylor rapping as Plankton, as this section of When the Going Gets Tough does not appear on the Chicago album, presumably because it was written in the wake of the Chicago production. Hit it! One of many mom and dad are plenty more. Me in 2020 vision never had it, so I had to be a devastating, conversating, luminous communicator. Hope we later, rookie hater, roll this tiny little nugget to your pay. You never heard of me, okay? I am a giant, I don't give it up, I live it up. Floating in the sky, you running for the bank lane. Celebrate single cell, silly and a terrible genius. rapping so fast. He's rapping so fast. Impressive. CPCC Wesley Taylor turned me into a cream pie, I say. No, just give me adventure. I'm a contender and more. I will show I'm not just a sponge next door.
just a simple sponge. You're wrong, Mr. Krabs. I'll find a way to stop that volcano from erupting. You are still a simple sponge. I'll use science, like Sandy said. I'm gonna need her on the team. Cause you're just a simple sponge. And Patrick, too. He's super strong. We'll be the best team ever. Sandy's brains, plus Patrick's brawn, plus my... Yes, a very simple sponge. I'm not sure what my thing is, but that won't stop me. When the going gets tough, this sponge gets going. No, I'm not a simple back to the opening number, as I forgot to mention how Bikini Bottom Day contains a bite-sized I Want interlude for Spongebob. The number literally stops dead in its tracks with everyone freezing in place so Spongebob can sing about his dream of becoming a manager. My boy, you're just a wee simple sponge. A fry cook's all you'll ever be. Why can't he see? I wore my good shoes and I've got my tie on. Maybe it's me. Am I just a simple sponge you can't rely on? Come on, Mr. Krabs, I could do it if you'd give me one chance. Then everyone would say, good morning, Mr. Squarepants. I would never rest until I was the best. SpongeBob, get in the kitchen. It's opening time. We do not need this. I suspect the only reason this miniature ballad exists lies in the fact that SpongeBob's official I Want number, Just a Simple Sponge, which you just heard, comes more than halfway through the first act, which is admittedly later than one might expect. But that's fine. Panic at the Disco's anthem is awesome, thrilling, and requires no foreshadowing from the score. We already know SpongeBob is a naturally driven character. The book, along with Ethan Slater's bright-eyed performance, communicates his qualities. I just need Bikini Bottom Day to stop doing so much in the name of clarifying the show's terms. This is SpongeBob SquarePants. I think we'll be fine with a little less hand-holding. I desire a SpongeBob SquarePants concept album, which features the songwriters performing their own work. Aerosmith, Cyndi Lauper, John Legend, we need to bring these people into a studio and make this happen. I want to hear Panic at the Disco's histrionic take on Simple Sponge. Are we saying Disco was good enough to appear over the credits of Frozen 2, but not on a SpongeBob concept album? Nonsense! Ethan Slater, by the way, I mean, my God, those final notes slice through the air like ribbons of lightning. Ethan, your wife can watch. I'll say it again. We can work this out. Call me. I should be my daddy's greatest surprise. But instead, he's got dollar signs in his eyes. Daddy, you just don't understand. All I care about is rocking out with my favorite. Oh, the feeling got in 
money, 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 money
it's time to celebrate one of my favorite characters, Sandy Cheeks. Sandy is great. I love how she has been consistently played by black women throughout the show's history. There are those who would write off SpongeBob as empty calories for undiscerning kids, but when you cast a black woman as a brave, kind, kick-ass scientist who is rejected by society for being different and receives a sincere apology from society, that sends a hell of a message, and I'm glad kids had the opportunity to soak it in. My greatest wish is for Sandy to have a true blues song of her own, one that isn't about motivating SpongeBob or being motivated by SpongeBob. The book does a decent job of filling in the details of her arc. I love her arc, but I could stand to hear Sandy sing about her search for home and family. Chop to the Top is a breezy little bop, but it simply can't compare to the non-existent 11 o'clock number floating around in my head. We don't need to talk about Lady Antebellum, do we? They wrote Chop to the Top, good for them, but they're a nasty pack of opportunistic cretins, aren't they? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, they're not Lady Antebellum anymore. They're Lady A, of course. How could I forget? Ugh. I hope Anita White wipes the floor with them. Lady Antebellum, how did we ever let them get away with such nonsense? It's called white supremacy, Jonathan. Well, you got me there. so high without you Everything I've got so good but not without you And suddenly nothing feels quite right Why does the sunshine feel like night I'm only pretending I'm alright without you now what's some macaroni without the cheese? Or peas in a pod without the peas? That's the way I feel when there's me without you. I Guess I Miss You is so goddamn sweet and gentle. This is a song about nice boys who have hurt each other and want nothing more than to hang out once again. One of them is the macaroni and one of them is the cheese. John Legend, you listen to me. John, release a cover of this song immediately. If I can't buy a full concept album, I should at least be able to hear you sing I Guess I Miss You. Make the world a slightly better place and do the work, Johnny! All right, that's all I have to say in regards to this week's score, and now we are going to hear from our fine sponsor, 5678. Take it away, 5678. It's me. What do you mean, who? Who else gets to leave? It's Applegate, you wingnut. Do me a favor, take the pitchfork out of your butt and listen up. I need you to whip up 10,000 cans of 5678 coffee, and I need them in Washington tonight. Not tomorrow, not next week, tonight. 
Yes, Abraxas, I'm aware it's a challenge, yes. You know what else is a challenge? Convincing cis white straight men in their late 40s to leave their wives and hand over their souls. Oh, back in the day, back in the day, <laughs> all I had to do was wave around a baseball contract. I had a meeting out of my claws. Now all these guys want is five, six, seven, eight coffee and somewhat rare Funko Pops and Peloton Apparel e-gift cards. It's lame, I hate it, but we all have our quotas. Don't we, Abraxas? So hop to it, all right? I'm sure Beleth and Incubus can handle chopping off cis-white straight penises for a couple of hours. They know what they're doing. They are good interns. You trained them. Well, you're welcome. I'm hanging up now, Abraxas. These Peloton Apparel gift cards are not going to steal themselves. Goodbye. You just can't get good help these days. It's enough to make you sick. Final thoughts regarding SpongeBob SquarePants. I fear I may have been too negative during our deconstruction of the score, so allow me to clear the air. I like SpongeBob SquarePants a hell of a lot. I like how the show is pro-science, queer-friendly, and an advocate for those who choose rational thought and compassion in the face of overwhelming odds. We need that message right now. I like how the show pits reactionary journalism against useless government officials. Don't put too much stock in one or or the other kids, remember there are dozens of competing interests that went out over your basic well-being. I don't just like David Zinn's scenic and costume designs, I go gaga form is what I do. They capture the spirit and aesthetic of the series while proving underwater worlds do not have to exist in some off-putting uncanny valley. Broadway's The Little Mermaid, anyone? Hello, ding dong. Now in 2018, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was a show we have already talked about here on the podcast. That is The Band's Visit. And the additional nominees that season were Frozen and Mean Girls. I believe The Band's Visit absolutely deserves to keep its medallion for Best Musical. I love that show. It's not gonna be giving that award up to SpongeBob or Frozen or Mean Girls. Spoiler Spoiler alert for when we get to the Frozen episode. Spoiler alert for when we get to the Mean Girls episode. That medallion ain't going to those shows, I tell ya. It is now time for me to rank SpongeBob SquarePants against all of the other musicals we have talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to take a look at this ranking, all you need to do is follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod. Go to our like section, click on the first tweet you find there. It's a Google Sheet. Go to the second tab on that sheet. You will find our ranking actually just created a link tree for the first time. I cannot believe that the show now officially has a link tree. You know, it's fine for the show to evolve over time, but you would think that a link tree would have been part of the overall ethos, the aesthetic of this show. Nope, I only just now made it, but that link tree does include a link to the Google Sheet. So if you want to use that, please feel free. SpongeBob SquarePants, I'm going to put you at number 39, between Amour at number 38, and The Rothschilds at number 40. We do have one change, a shift in the ranking. That is in regards to Monty Python's Spamalot, which is now at number 69 between Cats at number 68, Meow Meow, and Ragtime at number 70, Meow Meow. I do have two pieces of show-related ephemera for you this week. The first is Tiny Tim's 1968 cover of the Sherman and Lewis song Living in the Sunlight, Loving in the Moonlight, which was featured in the SpongeBob pilot. This is absolutely the first thing that comes to mind when I think of the original animated series. Let's hear that now. I'm so happy. 
of ephemera I have for you is the original version of David Bowie and Brian Eno's No Control, which, as a reminder, can be found on Bowie's 19th studio album, number one, Outside. Let's hear it. show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Kilometer by Kilometer. Everyone ready? Then away we go. Where have we landed this time around? Well, we have landed in the year 1972, it looks like. This was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and it ran on Broadway for 325 performances. The name of that show is Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death. Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death. You will be the subject of our next episode, and that episode will drop April 7th, Wednesday, April 7th, because we are now going to move our focus 
focus, shift our focus, I should say, on producing another fantastic, fabulous episode of M3, The Movie Musical Man. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a moment. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100%, every dime of every monthly Patreon payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can be a one, three, five, or $10 a month patron. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. You get them two days earlier than everybody else. You get a verbal shout out each and every week. So thank you very much for donating at least $1 a month. Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You get bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage production Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, and Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. You get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, that is a special series for which I check in with myself, and the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself. And finally, you get access to M3, the movie musical man. Here we go. This is a monthly series for which we watch and discuss trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Our next episode is going to drop on March 31st. Yes, and the theme is the Sherman Brothers trilogy. We're going to be watching and talking about Mary Poppins, The Happiest Millionaire, and Charlotte's Web. This is going to be the last episode in this batch of M3 episodes. <laughs> That's right. We won't be recording another episode of M3 until July. So if you want to catch up on all of the M3 episodes, all you need to do is donate $1 a month. But let's say you donate $3 a month. Well, you get everything I've already described, plus you get a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You tell me who you want to hear from, and they will give you that shout-out. You get Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special one-off episode about Season 1 of Julie and the Phantoms. $5 a month patrons get everything I've already described, plus they get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. If the musical was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, it is up for grabs. You tell me what you want to hear about. You also get Season 1 and Season 2, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get access to our Broadway and Chicago reviews, and you get Volumes 1 and 2 of Shout About It. Those are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the podcast. Finally, $10 a month patrons get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, and season one, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a special series for which we discuss Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. They were snubbed. Starting April 28th, we are going to be releasing bi-weekly episodes of our brand new $10 a month series that is known as Turn It Off, and it's all about off-Broadway musicals. It's true. I'm not lying. Don't accuse me of doing as such. 
If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We want five-star reviews only. We want 60 in total between the two platforms, okay? So if you are an Apple Podcast user and you have not written a five-star review for the show, shame on you. You should do that right now. You should also create an account with Podchaser and write a five-star review on that platform. Once we get to that goal of 65-star reviews, I will record and release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. I feel like I've been talking about this for months, and that's because I have been talking about it for months. So help us! Help us get to this goal so we can give you that nice bonus episode. If you're streaming the show, it could be through Podchaser or Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. I realized just today that we are also available via Audible, so if you are an Audible fan, the show is there for you. It's true. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod.com musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny for their amazing support. Benny, oh my god, I just remembered the bat. (laughs) Oh my god. Best of luck to you again. Alex Green for his beautiful logo. Thank you and Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time. Specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long. Farewell, I'll finish in, and good night. <laughs>